so you can get the mask off without taking off all the technical stuff. It's going to be okay here. Well, you may be stuck, I don't know. The joys of uh, being Jesus' ambassadors in challenging times. It's the uh, name of the sermon, and uh, we're off to step one, right? Hopefully we'll be all right. Really good to be back here at Knollwood. We, uh, we do love this church. We uh, are so thankful for so many of you who we've known for a long time, but we're also very thankful that we, we see faces that we don't know. That is a good thing. That means that the Lord is doing work in the lives of different people, and we are excited about that and very happy to be back here to report a bit about what God is doing in Spain, but also uh, to give a chance to, um, to share from God's Word this morning. Now, I thought it was a little strange when Pastor Nate asked me to preach on Halloween. <laughs> I don't know what that meant, you know, I don't know if he thought this was going to be like what, a really bad sermon, I don't know, but we'll see. But in some ways, I kind of feel like we've been living in Halloween since uh, March of 2020. Does it sometimes feel that way? Like it's been this one long Halloween thing going on or something? Uh, it's been challenging. And uh, our time back in Spain was, has been also equally challenging. It's interesting, though, that we're not the first people to ask God some difficult questions in uh, the book of Habakkuk, he, he had some very challenging questions to ask God. And sometimes we have to be willing to ask God the tough questions. And on the next slide, you'll see what, what uh, Habakkuk actually asked. He said, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Do you ever feel that way? I mean, as Christians, we don't like to say that because it sounds like we don't have faith or we're, we're, we're not walking with God or something's wrong. You know, we, sometimes we're not real honest with each other as believers, but I think that in reality, all of us at one point or another have said, how long, O oh Lord, how long will I cry out to you for help and you're not listening? What's wrong? In some ways, it's felt a little bit that way in Spain these last years. First, we went back in 2019, and uh, we had complacency. And I think many of us in the Christian world were complacent. The truth was, you know what's comfortable? Sitting in a pew, no masks, hugging each other, having potlucks, doing all the things that we've always done, but all the things we've always done aren't necessarily reaching people for Jesus. They make us feel good. We're happy. Warm, huggy, fuzzy feelings. I mean, everybody likes that. I like it too. But that's not what Jesus called us to, was warm, huggy, fuzzy feelings. He called us to be his ambassadors, his disciples and his ambassadors. And I think even in Spain, we saw some of this. When uh, we were here last, we were talked a little bit about a home group that we had, some believers that we were trying to train to become disciple makers. That was our plan, that they would be our discipleship team. Well, while we were on furlough last time, uh, another man came up, a nice man. He's a good man. He's a, he's a, he's a, 
uh, a guy that wanted to start a church in a nearby town, very old school, even older than we are, and, and, and did. that's old, you know, I'm 63, you know, and anyway, they, they went to the nearby town, he rented the smallest space you can imagine, I mean, the, the church is about the size of the sound booth, you know, back there, I mean, it's really small, and no, about 20 people really could probably sit in it. Um, but he put up a sign that says, you know, church, and uh, he comes, drives two hours every Sunday to, to, or every Saturday to, to preach to people. Well, most of our group said, that's all, oh, that's what we've wanted, relief. Because before we left, we had talked about the need to disciple and multiply and the fact that we were not going to rent a little space and put up a little sign and try to administer a church with seven people. Well, now they have a church of seven people. That was very disappointing for us because we really felt like we were, had shared our vision with them and, and were getting some people going in the right direction. And they were like, oh, finally, we have a church. We can go. We don't have to do anything. We can sit in a pew, and that's it. Now, there's nothing wrong with a church. I love Nowood. I wish we had something like this. But if only sitting in the pew is what we want to get back to, we want to get back to comfortable church, we're on the wrong wavelength with Jesus. Because we weren't called just to be cushy. And I'll tell you what, God did something in 2020 when that pandemic hit, it hit Spain like a truck. And we had lots of people dying. We had people laying in the, I mean, the hospitals were just full of people. There weren't enough beds for them. They were trying to treat people on the floors. They didn't have enough PPE, wearing garbage bags, trying to figure out they didn't know what was going on. This brand new thing, people were dying like flies. And it brought a lot of fear, and it brought a big lockdown. You see this picture in the background? That's the view from our house. Thank the Lord it's not a bad view. We live on the second floor, an apartment on the second floor, and it's up on a little bit of a hill so we can look out. But boy, we got a lot of that view. Because for seven weeks, we couldn't leave our property except to go to the grocery store. And only one person could be in a car at a time. You couldn't even go the two of us together. Uh, and you could go to the garbage can. You couldn't go out to exercise. You couldn't do anything. We sat for seven weeks locked in our house thankfully with a view, but that really brings the skids, you know what I mean, to your ministry. What do we do now, Lord? How do we minister in a difficult time like this? And uh, then when, when the lockdown ended and people could do things, stupidity set in. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying this. All of a sudden, everybody thought, oh good, that means the pandemic's over. Well, that was really wrong. And in Spain, unfortunately, the seventh, second wave was worse than the first wave. Because Spain is a very social country. Everybody has to be close. They have to hug each other. They have to kiss each other. They have to, you know, it's just, it's just part of being Spanish. And you have to talk loud, too. <laughs> I mean, if there's five people in a bar, you'd think there's 55 people in there. Because they talk like this, every one of them, and all of them are talking at the same time. You'd wonder if they ever hear anything. And so it didn't take long, and COVID just spread like 
crazy again, even worse. The second round was even worse. And by, by August and September, there were just people dying all over the place. And we saw it in Canada, we saw it in the United States. North America saw what was going on over in Europe, but didn't do anything about it. I don't know what happened. Sometimes I used to, I would write on Facebook, some of my Facebook friends of mine, and I would write trying to tell you guys, you know, this is real. you got to do something because it's, it's coming. And then we lost a couple of our closest friends to COVID. Two of our former missionary colleagues, people that we had worked with while we were missionaries in Chile. One of them died on Kathy's birthday last year, November 21st, almost a year ago. 63 years old. I'm 63. She was 63. And she was a nurse, and she died of COVID. She was putting cool things on Facebook. We were just looking at the things God was doing through her. And I mean, in the first week of November, I was looking at things that she was doing on Facebook. On the 21st, she was in heaven. And then, toward the end of the year, there was a little more hope coming. We thought about vaccines were coming, and and some people were starting to think about getting vaccines right toward the end of the year last year. And one of our other really close colleagues, a guy we worked with very care- closely in Chile, just turned 70, but hadn't gotten it, couldn't get his vaccine yet, hadn't come to him yet, died in January. We watched both of their funerals online, you know. That was hard to do because we couldn't go, couldn't be there. Um, so, you know, then the, what did this do? It brought strife. I'm sorry if I'm preaching to the crowd or I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes, but it brought strife and death and fear. And it brought it into the churches. You know, one side saying, if you go get a vaccine, it proves you have no faith in God. What's wrong with you? Trust God, not the vaccine. And there's another side saying, if you are a believer in Jesus, how on earth can you not go get a vaccine? Because we're trying to make sure people don't die before they hear about the gospel. And it put people like this at loggerheads. And it tore churches up. And it tore families up. It tore friendships up. And I think it was one of Satan's best tricks ever. We have yet to recover, I I would dare say, from, from this. And so 2021 has not exactly been joyful. And you're probably thinking, oh boy, I didn't come to church. It is a Halloween sermon. Man, oh man. (laughs) Gloom, doom, and maybe somebody ought to just come out of a coffin or something, you know. Um, But this view, like I said, was always saw for a couple years from our house. And uh, not just that seven weeks, but frankly... Once they let the things off, after they had the first burst, and everyone who went back to being crazy, they put the clamps down again, and, and we could not have anyone in our house. That was the thing. You could not have anyone that didn't live with you in your house. We could go out, but... Uh, and then in your own, on your backyard or your patio, you could have up to four people, and they had to have masks on. And almost all the churches were completely closed down because they couldn't keep social distancing, and you know what I mean. So our, our churches were closed for probably close to a year. And uh, so life was different. So I had to say, what can you do when you can't do what you were doing? And I think the one thing you can do is you can cry out to the Lord because He does listen. 
But that also means when we cry out to God, we have to listen to God. Right? It's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. And uh, I want to read what, what Habakkuk said because these are really tough but interesting words. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Must I, why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Could this have been written in 2021? Yeah, I think so. We see this even now. All around us, we are surrounded by difficult situations and, and strife and even violence. And, and we, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, God, why do these things exist? What is going on? What are you going to do about it? Strangely enough, the answer may surprise you. And uh, it surprised us. We were thinking, well, Lord, we can't get together. We can't do these people all left, and they're all going to have their own little churchito now. And, and, uh, you know, and then he sent us something we weren't really ready for, the big lockdown. This was Spain's method of enforcing the lockdown. You go out and, you know, they send the bulls after you. Not really. They didn't really do that. <laughs> it felt like it sometimes, but they didn't really do that. But the answers aren't always what we want. And it wasn't for Habakkuk either, because the Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. And, you know, Habakkuk is scratching his head. Uh, Lord, I just said I didn't want to see violence. I didn't want to see, you know, injustice. And you're sending these creeps in here. What are you, what? And it was like we were saying, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to build a, a discipleship team? Or, you know, and, and you said, what, COVID? And now we can't do anything? This doesn't seem like the answer we were looking for. But Habakkuk, to his credit, he kept talking to the Lord. And uh, continuing on in chapter 1, Habakkuk says back to him, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal. You notice how he doesn't say, where are you now? He's getting a little more pious. because He says, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? You ever feel that way sometimes? Yes, Lord, it's true we're sinners, but we're not as bad as sinners as those guys. You can't possibly have them as part of your plan. I mean, how could you, how could you judge me with those guys or with this situation or whatever? And yet God knows the big picture. You know, I think I've shared this even here before, but... I see the Christian life many times like a tapestry, each one of us being threads, right? And some threads are shorter and some are longer. And if you look at the back of a tapestry, it's just this wad of thread. 
And we don't really know why our thread intersects with another thread and another thread overlaps here. And yet, if we turn it around, it can be the most beautiful thing. And I think that's what we have to see with, with the Lord. We don't see everything He's doing because we cannot see His full picture of how He's weaving this tapestry together. Then in chapter 2, at the start of chapter 2, Habakkuk says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how He will answer my complaint. This is very important, people. One, God is big enough to take your complaints. He's also ready to answer your complaints, but you have to listen. You have to go up and watch, and you have to listen. And sometimes that's hard. We want to tell God what to do. We don't want God to tell us what to do. And it's important for us to understand that God wants to talk to us. Well, we learned a lot. We went kind of up into our, up into our watchtower, and we said, God, what on earth do you want us to do? And so one of the things we had to do was crawl out of the 19th century into the 21st century and uh, start to learn how to use WhatsApp, Zoom, YouTube, Skype, all these different things. I started a YouTube channel, you know, got Facebook pages for different things. Uh, uh, but not just to have something to do. God really put in our hearts something. You know, we went there as church planters. Well, that's a good thing. We want to plant churches. But really the the, the Great Commission doesn't say go and plant churches in all the world. It says go and make disciples, right? You don't have to have a church building to make a disciple. You can make a disciple using WhatsApp, in Zoom meetings. We found that we can even disciple people to Jesus. This is something we really had to come to. Before they even know Jesus Christ, because we have like no believers in our town, okay? And so we're discipling, and I put that in quotes, but I think it's the truth. We are sharing kingdom values and discipling people and friends toward Christ even before they make that commitment to Him. And God has allowed us to do quite a bit of that in these last two years using these methods. Even now, while we're here back in Canada, I'm still in touch with people. Kathy's still in touch with people. We are still trying to share the gospel with people using different methods. So, do we really want to go back to everything as it was? It's interesting what, what God said after, after um, Habakkuk climbed up into his watchtower, literally or physically, I'm not sure, or both, maybe. Or uh, literally or figuratively, not physically. That would have been literally. <laughs> okay. He says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God or the righteous will live by faith. It's really the same idea. When we want to do what we want to do, our life is going to be crooked. We trust in ourselves. And you know, as believers, we can still trust in ourselves. I think this morning, you know, Pastor Nate was talking about that, that we can have idols, we can have gods. There are things in our lives that we can trust that aren't God. And if our trust is having Noel look like it always looked, be like it always felt, eh, wrong answer, okay? 
That's not what God's trying to do. He's continuing to do new things. He has to. This world is a changing place. I've lived long enough to know that it has changed a lot in these last 63 years. And it will continue to change. And if I just cry in my soup and say, oh, it's not like it used to be, so what? You're right. It's not. And it never will be. So our trying to go back to something that once existed, which was in our mind rather than reality probably, that's no help. We live by our faith. The Lord says, went on to say, Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. All our struggle is useless. And it's vanity if all we do it for is for ourselves and for our own comfort. We can work really hard and all of our hard work is useless. But when the Lord does his thing, it will reveal his glory. So I guess the question is, how has COVID-19 helped to make the world aware of the glory of the Lord? And I've asked Kathy to come and... uh, talk about a few God stories along the way, a few things that God has done in part because of COVID. And uh, just so that you know that God is still at work, even in difficult moments. Good morning, family and friends and new people that I haven't met yet. I hope we get to to introduce ourselves later. What a blessing it is to be here. It's like coming home. It's like, (sighs) it's it's great. Um, Yes, uh, this last two years of this term uh, in Spain have been full of challenges, um, but yet we've seen, looking back, how God has been able to do some pretty cool things through these challenges. Some of you who follow our prayer letters may remember a few years ago, uh, a a Christian lady who knows how to sew, whose name is Sole, (coughs) and I were talking about what we could, how we could use our interest, gifts, and talents and give them to Jesus, just like the little boy who had his bag of fish and his bag of bread, and he gave them to Jesus, and Jesus did some pretty, pretty amazing things with that, the, that bag of fish sandwiches. So Sola and I were talking about our fish sandwiches and what we could do with them, what God could do through them, and one of them was, she knows how to sew, I know how to sew, so we offered some sewing classes to young women in the community as a way of developing relationships with, the, with these young ladies. Fast forward a couple of years, we're at the very beginning of the pandemic and we have no mass. The town has, there's just not any, there's not any to be found. And uh, the town council, somebody on the town council remembered that Soli and I had taught these, these sewing classes and they contacted us and said, would you please sew masks? We need 600 fast. Um, so we said, okay, but they gave us the pads that go under sheets in hospitals, you know, those kind of bubbly things. That's what they gave us to sew with, which is, uh, we didn't really know how these masks were going to be uh, very useful, but we got to be working and we sewed and we sewed and we sewed and we sewed. And I was looking at my little stock of sewing machine needles that I had, and they were, this material was breaking them one after the other. And I was like, all the stores were closed. There was no, and we weren't allowed out in the streets. So, uh, Lord, I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but um, I was down to just a 
couple of needles, I sent out a, f a message to my English students and said, do you, any of your mothers have sewing machine needles? And they all wrote back, no, 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 no. But then someone passed this message on to a policeman named Rafa, and Rafa said, uh, I know I can get, the, get you the freedom to go to a store, and I can make it possible for this lady to open the store. And so I went out in the street, it was just eerie. It was just like nobody. And I went to her place, and I had one needle left when this was, this was opened up. And I was able to go, and she had a hundred needles that she gave me. So the Lord waited till I was down to my last needle, <laughs> and he gave me a hundred. Isn't that just like him? Yeah. <laughs> um, and th after that, two police departments in other areas heard about me and came to me and said, would you sew us masks? We just don't have enough. And I had to cut up bed sheets. That's all there was. I was cutting up. I had extra sheets. So I sewed and sewed and sewed a lot of masks and again it was just fish sandwiches lord what can you do what how can you glorify yourself through my w willingness to do this and um and w i will probably not know like ken mentioned the tapestry I probably won't know and maybe maybe the lord even isn't gonna bother telling me when we get to heaven we're gonna have so many other things to talk about but i, w I wonder sometimes what what he has done and will continue to do through that through that episode of my life, it was hours and hours at the sewing machine. Um, fish sandwiches also, also involve my abilities as a teacher. I was a teacher, and I love to teach, and um, I've developed relationships with young women. Um, my best friends in Spain are in their 30s, and we ha I have such sweet friendships with these young women. Uh, who, and all of these friendships began with my uh, offering to help them uh, in their English language studies because many of them want to be English teachers. Others need, them, need English to, to improve in their careers, to get promotions and that sort of things. And um, so teaching English, and then I, you see a picture of a pie there. Um, I love to bake and have people in our house, and um, we haven't been able to have people in our house, but we could have... <laughs> we could have pie on the back patio with small groups. Last Christmas, I, I, we always do an open house at Christmas time and have lots of people come in our house. And they come, they're very curious. We sing carols and we, and we share the Christmas story. Last year, we had to have a walkthrough <laughs> open house on our back patio where we had the, the goodies already pre-wrapped and they came in one way and went out the other. And, and it, was, it was odd, but again, Lord, this is all we know to do. Please use these fish sandwiches. So I challenge you. What do you know how to do? What are your gifts, your interests, your talents? How can you put those at the dis disposition uh, of Jesus? That's probably Spanish disposition. Um, how can you put them in his hands and, and say, do what you want? And lastly, here's a picture of a sweet lady. Ha, <laughs> ha, far cry. I wasn't going to. It's my mom. <laughs> she passed away in April, and I wasn't able to come. And that, that was really hard because I wasn't able to see, I, I, except on my, my brother and my sister-in-law's camera uh, phones, you know, I, I could see. But I wasn't able to be through the process of her, her, of, of her the end of her life, and that was hard. It was really hard. But because we couldn't come to a funeral and, and no one really could and, and even if we had we could the numbers would be so limited 
we did it online, and we had a Zoom funeral that was such a blessing. People from all over the world were, were involved, and including some of my Spanish friends who'd never, ever seen anything like this, never heard anything like this. The story of a, a woman who loved Jesus and, um, and who, who was really very, very uh, unselfish in, in letting her daughter go. You know, when we went to Chile the first time, our kids were just small, and uh, she was struggling with this because she didn't want, really want her kid to go to so the other part of the world. But the other hand, on the other hand, she loved the Lord, and, and she didn't want to be in the way of his will. And I remember one day she handed me a refrigerator magnet that said, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And it was her way of saying it's okay. And then when we came back, we're here for a few years, and during that time my father passed away, and then God called us to Spain. It was hard for her again. But she was one of the first people to say, I'm going to let you go, not only with my words and my, my love, but with the money, <laughs> and was one of our first and very generous supporters. So I have to say that um, that we miss her, <laughs> and we also miss her support. <laughs> and during, during this period of, uh, it's been the first time since we've been missionaries that our, our support needs have, are greater than our support. <laughs> it's the first time that we, uh, costs have gone up so much, and we've lost um, some supporters for various reasons, totally understandable reasons. And so, thankfully, we did have a lot of uh, one-time one donors at the beginning that gave us a nice pad, so, so we're okay. But the, for the first time, our mission has asked us to mention that uh, we need new partners. And so if the Lord wants to talk to you about that, please, please send us an email or chat with us after where we can let you know how that can happen. We live in an area that is so lost. There's about a million people and there's only about a thousand believers spread all over in little towns and a couple of larger cities in the area. So that would be like the whole city of London having only 300 Christians. You can't imagine that, can you? Uh, the, the, the medieval Catholicism is so steeped in 500-year-old traditions that, that God isn't even there. You can be Catholic and be an atheist. It's all about just the, the um, rituals and the and the family gatherings are, that are, are centered around church calendar activities but have nothing to do with who Jesus is. And so our, our life, our purpose is to be there to, to help people who have kingdom values, many of them, but they haven't met the king yet. And so we're living among them, allowing them to see God's work through us. So thank you so much for, for what you've done and your prayers for us, and um, I, I, we are so grateful for this church. We really are, so thank you. Take it, take it, take it, take it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was difficult to, uh, to go through that with Kathy's mom, and, uh, but uh, God, God can even use difficult things like that in the lives to bring people back to Jesus, to bring people to himself. I want to change direction just a little bit, but uh, I said that uh, some of our people left. Well, these were, this was a couple that was in our group. This is uh, Salva, who we baptized, his wife, was baptized uh, 
uh, also later. And uh, so Salva and Juliana. Well, since we've been back in Canada, Salva's written me some messages and said, uh, you know what? I think you were right. I think just sitting in a pew is not the way that we're supposed to go as believers. And uh, I'd like to rethink my, my thinking. I'd like to be more proactive in my Christianity. I'd like to be a disciple maker. And uh, so that's a blessing, right? That is cool. Um, this is my challenge for all of you to think about a bit. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The old life is gone. I want to say it one more time. The old life is gone. The comfortable, comfortable life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. It's not a bad thing. It's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself getting back in right relationship with God. That's our job to help them do. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Be reconciled to God. Be right with God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know, if you've never been made right with God, you can be made right with God today. But if you have been made right with God, we got a great message, and it needs to be spread. But I want to show you some, some cool pictures to finish up with. Here's a neat picture we have of a statue from Extremadura, where we live. What do you see? You see a family, a man, a woman. You can't really quite tell what's going on there. You get a little closer. You realize, what's the man doing? None of you ever been on a farm? None of you ever heard of this word? He went out to sow. Looks like he's sowing seed. You can even see the seed in his hand up close, right? Now, for many, many centuries, this worked just fine. Now, how many of you have ever driven on the roads of Ontario here, past the farms in the spring, how many of you have seen people do this? I haven't either. The funny thing is, if we want to plant a field of, say, sunflowers, or corn, or whatever it is, wheat, what is necessary? Seed. Seed, right? You've got to have the seed. Now, how it gets there, though, can be different. We're still planting, when we do sunflowers, you know what we have to plant? Sunflower seeds. You know what they had to plant in 1650? Sunflower seeds. I mean, that's what you had to plant. The Word of God doesn't change. The message doesn't change. But the methodology has to change. The world keeps changing. And if we're going to see a growing world reached for Christ, we can't keep doing this. And you think about farming. Those of you that know a little bit about farming, you've seen changes. We look at the next picture. You know, some guy finally said, hey, maybe I should put a bucket on a, on a wheel. That would be a little faster and a little easier. Than, and I could do it in a straight line instead of just throwing it all over the place. Right? And then somebody else said, hey, maybe we should put six or seven buckets behind a tractor. And then somebody said, how about we put 10 buckets behind? Then now somebody says, let's put like, you know, 100 buckets behind and let's just get this thing planted. You know, um, 
In Christianity, we so often, we still want to do everything like this. Grandpa did it that way. Great-grandpa did it that way. Good enough for me. It's not good enough. We need to be willing to remember that as we come out of COVID, let's not go back to the old everything is comfortable thing. The complacency thing. It wasn't really reaching the world for Jesus Christ, not in a big way. I love how the book of Habakkuk ends, and this is how I'm going to end my sermon today too. He says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there's no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will continue to complain to the Lord. Is that what he says? Oh no! He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Okay? I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah. God is the God of our salvation. Isn't that good news? Isn't the good news to share with somebody else? He frees us from the sin. I love this statue. This statue is actually in Portugal rather than Spain, but close enough. <laughs> but you see all the old rubble there? I love this statue. It's uh, in a town called Braganza. And it's almost like from the ruins, and there's a lot of ruins in Spain and Portugal, something new rises. And in some ways, it's like from the ruins of COVID, I think God's going to do something fantastic. He's going to do something new. And the cool thing is, it's not going to be just because of you or just because of me. The very last verse of Habakkuk says, and we'll read it in just a second, but I just want to reiterate this. The message doesn't change. The methods do. The world is not what it was, but Jesus is the same. What will you do to make disciples that make disciples even in challenging times? What will you do? Really want you to think about that. What will you do? How are you going to do that? How are you going to interact with people who don't yet know Jesus? I don't mean how are you going to call the people you already know over for a cup of tea, the believers that are easy to be with. I mean... How are you going to change to get your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, the student in your class that doesn't know Jesus, the person at the job that doesn't know Jesus? How are you going to make a difference? Well, the final verse of Habakkuk says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Man, I, I want to see Nolwood treading on the heights. I want to come back here and, you know, hopefully when we don't have all the social distancing things, I'd like to see every chair full. But not just so you have big numbers in church. That What I want it to be is people who are disciples, who are discipling other people, and those people then they want to come to church to worship. You see what I'm saying? Why would we invite people to church that don't even know the Lord? Why on earth would they want to come here? Our challenge is to get them to come to know Christ. And then we bring them into fellowship with his, with his brothers and sisters, right? With all of us. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters. They have been such a blessing to us uh, in prayer, financially. Oh, man, thank you for those who have come over to our house and helped, helped us. I thank you, Lord. just want to say a special prayer. Thanks for, for Dave coming over every week and helping us out. Special thanks for Kevin, who, Kevin from heaven who just comes over and helps take all our stuff to the dump and for Dave who allows us to get rid of our stuff. And Lord, we just, 
we're just so thankful for the people who have spent time time there helping us out and and Lord, we thank you for those who are giving to our ministry, and we thank you for this church that's given financially, but also who gives all the time in prayer and, and who just follows what we're doing. God, we are really blessed, and we thank you. We pray that that blessing would spread to hundreds and thousands here in London. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you for...